So what sorts of cybersecurity resources are healthcare sector entities planning to invest in for 2018? I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with Gus Hunt, former Chief Technology Officer at the Central Intelligence Agency, who is currently Managing Director and Cyber Lead at consulting firm Accenture Federal Services. Gus will be discussing some of the findings from a recent study conducted by Pittsburgh-based Center for Connected Medicine, or CCM, in partnership with the Health Management Academy. The study examined healthcare technology investments of more than 20 major U.S. health systems. So now, Gus, first, just very briefly describe your involvement with this study, and just please tell us a little bit about the sorts of cybersecurity resources healthcare entities say they're planning to add next year. I've been engaged with uh, HMA off and on for the last several years, who actually conducted the study for the Center for Connected Medicine. Cybersecurity is such a critical thing, and if you look at what's happened around the world uh, between uh, data thefts uh, from different uh, you know, health organizations through, uh, through ransomware attacks and things like that, clearly the health industry is a critical aspect and a focus area for adversaries. And uh, being able to protect that, we think, is absolutely essential and, and critically important. You know, in, in the study, they asked the question, you know, what are the resources that they're looking to add? And if you really take a look at where they say they're going to focus their energies, it's really in the area of technology and people, which in my book are absolutely the right place to be able to do this because both are critically important. You've got to invest in technology on a continuum in order to keep pace with the cyber threats that are all around you. The uh, cyber threats are probably the fastest moving technology space that's out there. And without some form of continuous investment to ensure that the technologies that we bring to bear to protect ourselves are commensurate with the threats that are going on out there, we'll, we'll always keep falling further and further behind, become more and more at risk. The, the second place, of course, is in people. And people are obviously the most critical resource anybody can invest in simply because with the right staff and with the right skills and the right knowledge, you can deal with almost any problem that happens, even ones that were completely unexpected or or big surprises that come at you out of the blue. But there's an issue there, and that's that there's a massive shortfall of cyber skills, both in the U.S. and around the globe, that people can tap into. And so from our perspective, we believe it's imperative that we invest in automation and orchestration to ease the burden of day-to-day security work and then allow organizations, health organizations, to focus their most scarce and expensive resources, the people themselves, on higher-level work and solutioning in order to get themselves ahead of the threats as opposed to always trying to play catch-up. So, Gus, when it comes to automation, what sorts of automated security things are healthcare entities looking at or should they look at, especially since many of them don't have those sorts of people resources and maybe not the resources to necessarily spend on technology if they're smaller? Automation and orchestration are emergent, are new capabilities. There are new tools that are out there. What they do is they actually bring together all the aspects of what in a security operations center, a SOC, to what the analysts are having to deal with. And they do it in such a way that they give a comprehensive view of what's going on in the environment. And then in the event of something happening, what they do is they propose or will automated sets of actions that cybersecurity specialists can take or will actually themselves do things such as immediately turn off 
an affected machine or something along those lines so that they can be, uh, we can begin to work at machine speed as opposed to working only at human speed. And what that does is, is it actually reduces the number of people that you need at the lower level, which is fundamentally just watching screens and looking for alerts than trying to determine whether or not they are significant. And then take those same people and allow them then to move higher up the stack, what we call tier two and tier three level work, where they actually are out there and can more very effectively and very rapidly fix, mitigate, and address issues as they occur. So now, Gus, based on the study, what other kinds of cybersecurity technology are healthcare entities planning to invest in or implement next year? If you look at the cybersecurity matrix from NIST and others, identify, protect, detect, uh, respond, and fix. Uh, their focus is on identifying, protecting, and detecting cyber threats, uh, which is where it really should be. There's an adage in the healthcare business that an ounce of prevention equals a pound of cure, and this adage is equally true in the cyberspace, right? So in other words, if we can detect and find things before they actually can cause harm, it's a much better position to be in that you try and figure out how I'm going to clean up after the fact and do things. And so doing the right things, frequent health checks, uh, early detection to find and stop them before the new damage all become critical aspects to this. And this is where a lot of the technology space it, itself is going, which is to actually bring to bear much more sophisticated techniques on uh, identifying threats not through signatures, for an example, because signatures are always after-the-fact things, but through their behaviors. So if we take uh, WannaCry or Petya or not Petya or any one of those recent malware uh, ransomware attacks, the fact is, is that there were tools that were out there that saw these things and stopped them without knowing what they were based upon their behavioral characteristics, not based upon us knowing in advance what they look like. And, you know, that's what a signature file is and does. And so there are a lot of these capabilities that we can bring into an organization in order to enable them to really begin to step ahead of that problem space. The other focus is a shift from reactive proactive cybersecurity capabilities. I was really pleased to see that in the study because this is this is extraordinarily important. Typically, uh, cybersecurity has been a very much a reactive posture. Something alerts and everybody scurries around to go deal with it and fix it. Proactive security is all about uh, looking ahead. It's about uh, aggressively hunting your own network, penetration testing your own assets, doing continuous vulnerability scanning in your environments uh, in order to discover, uh, you know, APTs that may have already gotten through, just find holes and vulnerabilities and remove these things and close them before our adversaries can exploit them. And there's a whole range of tools and capabilities that can help automate and drive that forward. And these are now today very well proven techniques that bear great fruit. So now, Gus, you had mentioned ransomware attacks we've been seeing on the healthcare sector. And I know the survey asked the the survey respondents whether or not they plan to open a Bitcoin wallet. The findings have said that 44% have not opened a Bitcoin wallet or don't plan to do so in 2018. Does that surprise you at all? Do you think organizations should have a Bitcoin wallet ready? And is there sort of a sense of false preparedness maybe with the healthcare sector, thinking that they can handle whatever's coming at them? No, I I don't think it's either of those things. First of all, I'm not sure opening a Bitcoin wallet is going to get you 
better prepared across the board because in many cases, uh, the ransomware attacker themselves uh, they actually will provide a help desk and a number you can call that they'll walk you through how to open one up and put money in it and get it to them across the board. And, and usually in the case of ransomware, they give you a few days in order to respond anyhow. So having one ahead of time is nice. But I don't view it as absolutely essential in order to deal in the space. You know, it's just that's just one of those things. I think the most important thing, going back to what I said earlier, is that healthcare should look at mechanisms to mitigate, prevent, and intercept ransomware attacks as the first line of protection, right? So paying out is the last line, right? It means it's already occurred. And going back to my earlier comment with proactive defense, if you can find these things and stop them before they can get in and do damage, then you don't have to worry about having a, a Bitcoin wallet in order to pay off. And there are, uh, as I said, uh, several good technologies and platforms out there. We use a couple of them ourselves that really do protect very, very uh, aggressively against things that are not well known uh, in the space. The other thing that people have to realize is that this behavior-based detection itself it's going to get all the more important because the adversaries are aggressively adopting uh, what is called polymorphic code development techniques, meaning that their ransomware uh, code never looks the same way twice, and it allows them to slip past traditional defenses, whereas these new capabilities that are behavior-based detect not the object itself, but what it's trying to do, and then stops it at that point as opposed to uh, trying to know what the object is and recognize it for what is what you know what's there. The second thing I will tell you is that so along with you know that proactive defensive posture, which is really important, just as part of basic hygiene, organizations really need to ensure that their data is frequently backed up and that the backup itself is separated from the main network so that it's not vulnerable to an attack that happens on the network. There's a bunch of other things they can do. Strictly limit administration rights, right? So no one should have individual unmanaged admin rights. They should look to be able to sign and vault all software to enable rapid restoration and look to cloud capabilities to make that actually much more effective and quick. So virtualization, containerization, elasticity. They should segregate their networks, right? Business functions and, and the medical function of the medical facilities themselves should be on different networks. In fact, medical devices should be separated even further from these things. And by segregating out networks, you limit the potential for damage to be done by these things. And then hide and abstract your most critical networks. Uh, Software-defined networking creates an amazing capability to enable us to hide critical networks from prying eyes, meaning the adversary, that you know, particularly networks that don't have to be forward-facing, outward-facing, right? Uh, so we can hide these things so that the adversary can't find them, and, therefore, and if you can't find it, you can't attack it. Anyhow, so, and then it's only if all else fails should they pay the ransom. And what's really interesting about, about ransomware is that the vast majority of ransomware payments result in the getting unlocked. And the reason for this is simple, is that if it gets disclosed that a particular ransomware purveyor, right, you know, wrong term perhaps, but purveyor, is, uh, fails to unlock after getting paid, then what's the point of ever paying them again? And so once the word gets out, they'll never make any money on the deal. And now that ransomware is a multi-billion dollar industry, what was the last number I saw earlier this week is a $2 billion a year business globally. The fact is, is that they can't afford to have that reputation. And so at least hospitals and medical facilities need to make sure they have the confidence that if they are forced in the end to pay, that things will likely get unlocked. But then I would say, then go back to what I just 
started down, which is it's much more important to begin to, to do things to mitigate and prevent the next event than it is to have an open wallet that you're just going to keep paying and paying and paying. And finally, Gus, what are your predictions for the top cyber threats you think will be facing healthcare next year? Are we going to see anything new? I would say that the top threats that are going to be out there next year are going to be very much the ones that we have to worry about now, right, today. So uh, open, unpatched vulnerabilities, undetected, advanced, persistent threats that are already on your network. Uh, Ransomware is going to be around for the long haul just simply because it has become so profitable. The big threat that's emergent and already, in fact, medical is already dealing with this actually ahead of many others, which is a good thing. But, you know, it's going to get worse over time. The big one that's that's emergent and looming, uh, you know, running us down already is the Internet of Things. So we talk about, you know, smart, connected medical devices. But when everything in your hospital, your medical facility or your office is going to be smart, right? So you'll have smart refrigerators and smart washing machines and smart this and smart that. All these devices are potentially are going to be connected onto the network and uh, or even building automation systems to reduce your electrical load. So turning off uh, lights automatically and uh, HVAC automated control systems. All these smart systems, which are IoT systems themselves, get connected into your network and they provide another level of, uh, of potential vulnerability and attack. So the Mirai attack of, uh, I guess, a year or so ago now that almost took down the Internet was based upon taking advantage of the Internet of Things devices that people had failed to do the basic hygiene around of changing uh, user ID and passwords and things like that. So DDoS then is my next one on the list. So I, Internet of Things devices provide an additional, a ever-growing vector of attack potential. And in fact, we'll, by an order of magnitude, we'll increase the number of connected devices in, in, inside of uh, any facility. Then you have DDoS, which is going to begin to leverage all these things. And DDoS attacks are things that I think the medical business needs to be prepared for. And in fact, I was at a conference where the uh, CEO of Boston Children's Hospital spoke about what happened when they suffered a DDoS attack. And I think that uh, her lessons are ones that I, that I would hope that much of healthcare is taken to heart about what they need to put in place and what they have been putting in place as a result of that that's there. You know, then you have phishing campaigns which try to steal credentials so they can get into your systems and do damage and steal data, right, across the board. And then, of course, that goes through the data theft issue, whether through a successful phishing campaign or through actually hacking in uh, to a system itself and then exfiltrating data. And because we've seen that happen in Montana, Center, CHS, uh, and other places like that. So those are going to be the ones that I think that healthcare will continue to face by and large, and we'll have to deal with. Thanks, Gus. I've been speaking to Gus Hunt. I'm Marianne Kolbisak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.